right, now we're cooking with gas. Thank you for being here. My name is Julie Bueller. This is Get Your Love on Radio. So happy to have you here. We have an incredible show for you, one that is going to lift your heart and expand your faith and expand all of our faith because God is interested in ensuring that we all have the great confidence to walk in the Spirit every single day of our life and know that Christ's victory applies for us as individuals, as we walk in the Spirit, as we walk after Him, and as we learn about Him. So I'm, I'm excited for this show. It is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe, heard from Milwaukee to Moscow, and points in between. And thank you again for being here. You can check out our Twitter Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube for social media. On Twitter, it's Get Your Love On, the number one. So Get Your Love On, one. On Instagram, it's Get Your Love On Pod, because this is a podcast as well as a radio show. And then on YouTube and Facebook, check out Get Your Love On. And uh, we have new videos coming out. So that's available on the website. All of the show archives also available at getyourloveon.org. We want to make sure that you have access to all the best knowledge and all the best uh, wisdom and teaching that the Lord has available. So getyourloveon.org, that's where you find all the show archives. Let's get going in the Word here. We're, we're again, looking to keep you blessed with the Scripture and the Word of God. And while questions swirl and decisions need to be made, sometimes on a daily basis, especially it seems <laughs> in this day and age, we're, we're living in a very unique time. And battles are raging, spiritual battles, certainly. And they are spilling into the the street and onto the television screen. But make no mistake, these are spiritual battles. Those Those who know Christ will have confidence in Christ and his eternal victory. And through that walk, as we walk the walk, as we talk the talk, we will also move in great confidence through the knowledge of Christ. So today we have incredible ministers we're going to feature. Of course, my spiritual grandfather, Brother Bob, he'll be joining us a little bit later on and helping us all understand the personality of Jesus Christ, who he really is. And then we have another minister. His name's Corey. He's going to bring us part two of the Sermon on the Mount. A couple of weeks ago, we had part one. And again, that show is archived at getyourloveon.org. And today we hear part two of the Sermon on the Mount. It's incredible teaching. The Lord has shown him wonderful depth and um you know you'll you'll never look at yourself the same way after hearing this so stay tuned for that stay tuned for that but first let's get into the word we're going to start in psalms 118 we're talking about how to have real confidence real confidence in god almighty and we'll start in verse 1 of psalms 118 well it starts with oh give thanks unto the lord for he is good because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. Isn't that incredible that that's the four straight verses that appreciate God's mercy and the wonderful endurance of God's mercy. It's eternal. So as we're struggling, as we may have these challenges in our life, as we may be in the midst of incredible battles that seem very unrighteous and seem like like they're never ending, let's rest in God's eternal mercy 
and understand that his ways are perfect. So we can comfort our hearts and minds with that. It says in verse 5, I called upon the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. So often these challenges, they feel constricting, and they feel like you're just being pounded into a corner. (laughs) The Lord, through answering our prayers, through our faith, sets us in a large place. That word large means enlargement. So not only does he answer our prayers, but he enlarges our heart. He enlarges our capacity to understand our fellow brethren. He enlarges our capacity to understand him and to to appreciate our faith in him and our trusting in him and his mercy and, and enlarges us to understand what that means that mercy endures forever. When we live it, it makes that much more powerful. That word large means breadth, a large room, metaphorically the use of liberty. So when we're in these battles, it feels like you don't know where to turn, up, down, left, right, all of it's, you're, you're just embattled all the way around you. Well, the Lord allows us to have that liberty. When he answers our prayers and when, when we rest in him, when we call upon him in our distress, then we'll get that liberty of our of our heart of our mind and and in our lives entirely this is psalms 118 this is verse 6 it says the lord is on my side i will not fear what can man do unto me <laughs> thank you lord thank you for being on the side of the righteous thank you for being on the side of those who seek you with all their heart all their mind and all their strength lord thank you for that and thank you for giving us that fearlessness to be able to pursue this, pursue any and all victories through Christ. It says, The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Now, the word of God is incredible. Every word is there for a reason. So why was there this contrast between man who, and the word man in the Hebrew just means the human race. It could be men or women, just people in general. It's better to put confidence. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man, just people that are out there. It's also better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. So there's a distinction here that that David or the psalmist is is pointing out. Well, the word confidence means to trust, be sure, be bold, secure, to make hope, make to trust, to put trust. So when when it's saying it's better to trust in the Lord than in man, it means yeah, we should not feel secure in man's ways, in man's uh, mind, in man's orchestration or teachings, but instead to trust the Lord and how he sees things and how he's instructing us always to do that. And then the word princes means volunteer, means willing heart. It means generous. It actually means magnanimous. 
It means, though, too, as a noun, a grandee, which can sometimes be a tyrant, or it means noble. Why is this important to recognize? It's because a lot of times people in the world, they will present themselves as friendly. They'll present themselves as a willing heart. They'll present themselves as noble. But at the base of them, they're a tyrant. Isn't that interesting? When you take the word of God and you dig a little deeper, you get the perfect understanding of what the situation is. So yes, there are plenty of people that are good orators and they're on your television screen telling you that this is this is what's right and this is what should be done. And it seems they have a willing heart. It seems they're magnanimous and generous, but they're a tyrant. So that's why the scripture says it is better to trust in the Lord who's only righteous, who's always victorious. It's better to trust in him than even the princes, even those that put on a good show that seem noble. And even those that may actually have a willing heart, but they don't have the knowledge of God. Put your trust in the Lord. Let's stay there. Let's really stay there. And then watch how others look at you and say, wow, why do you have this confidence while everything else around you is falling apart? And or how do you have this confidence when you're when there's uncertainty on the other side of that? Well, it's because I put my trust in the Lord and him alone. Don't put my trust in men. Don't put my trust in princes or anything that seems to be um, appealing. No, I put my trust in the Lord. This is Psalms 118. This is verse 10. It says, All nations compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. <laughs> I love the strength of God. I love the declarations that, that we get to make as well through God's incredible might, mercy, and wisdom. Thank you, Lord. Interestingly enough, anytime you read the word and and um, the word nations comes up, this can also mean an individual person. And so it's, again, spiritually discerned. But this could mean that you're surrounded by people, that you're surrounded by naysayers, you're surrounded by adversaries. It doesn't necessarily mean an actual country. It says in verse 11, they compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They compass me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Isn't this beautiful that it's through the name of the Lord that these things happen? What is this name? It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So as we are proclaiming victory, as we are seeking God for victory, we can do so through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and know that the adversaries will be destroyed. And that adversary can be anything and everything that is opposing your heart and your mind. Maybe it's a virus. Maybe it's uh, some legal issues. Maybe it's some work issues. Whatever those adversaries are, the psalmist was surrounded like bees, not only um, does that refer to the actual physical surrounding, but also the noisome, the noise of it all. 
gosh, they're always, it just feels like they're in your ears because that noise is always there too. Well, through the name of the Lord, they will be destroyed. Verse 13, thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall. Speaking of these adversaries, thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song and is become my salvation. Isn't that wonderful that the first verse, David says that, oh, thank the Lord for he is good. Well, yes, and he is his strength and song. So our joy and that overflowing love that we have for each other, that comes from the Lord as well. That's our song to God. It says, verse 15, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Awesome. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. He repeated himself here for good reason, because we know that when we are in the hands of God, we are safe and through the Lord, we shall do valiantly as well. Verse 17, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. And that's what we're doing today. We are declaring the works of the Lord. As I mentioned, we have two incredible ministers today. One, uh, our dear, my personal spiritual grandfather, uh, Brother Bob, he'll he'll teach us about the personality of Jesus. And then another, it's part two of the Sermon on the Mount from our dear friend Corey, just a, an incredible minister. The Lord gives him such such wisdom from the scriptures. So we're doing that today because Jesus Christ died and was resurrected to free all those who choose him. And that's the work of the Lord. Freedom, liberty, freedom from oppression, freedom from sin, sickness, and disease, and freedom from the adversaries that fight against you. Because through Christ, we are eternally victorious. Now, before Christ came King David, the psalmist, and he prophesied and foretold of Christ many times through the Psalms and was a man after God's own heart. He was a mighty, mighty warrior. But before that, he was a shepherd boy. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17. This is going to give us some incredible strength and determination to know more about God every day, every breath we take. Let's continue to seek the Lord with our whole heart, our whole mind, and our whole strength. And our and to have real confidence in God Almighty. Not, not the kind of confidence that comes and goes based on circumstance. Oh, if I feel comfortable in this, I'm going to be confident that the Lord will take care of me. Or, oh, if, if this makes sense to my natural mind, I'm going to be confident that the Lord is going to take care of me. No, we want confidence through all things, through every circumstance and in all ways. So let's start in verse one. This is first Samuel chapter 17. We'll start in verse one. It says, now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Soko, which belonged to Judah and pitched between Soko and Ezekah in Ephraim Damin. And Saul who was the king of Israel. And the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the mount, out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height 
was six cubits and a span. So according to current day measurements, it's about nine feet, nine inches, some estimations because a cubit um, and a span were based on an individual's um, anatomy. So a, a cubit was the size, the length of the forearm to the end of the, or the elbow to the end of the hand. So it's about 18 inches. So anyway, it's about nine feet. This is a big dude, Goliath. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, about 150 pounds. So another human being just hanging out on him as, as armor, basically. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. So all this, this is a big man with a lot of very heavy equipment, okay? Big dude, lots of heavy equipment. <clears throat> Verse 7, and one bearing a shield went before him. Okay, here's a key. <laughs> Satan is a total coward. So here you have Goliath, this big dude with all this armament, with all these uh, massive, massive indications of strength. And then he has to have some person carrying a shield in front of him as well. It's because Satan is a coward. He's a coward. He puts on a big show, but he's a coward. And he will throw innocent lives in front of him um, for no other reason than destruction. So that's something to know about Satan and his ways. He's a coward. He is. He is such a pathetic coward. And so that's why this, you know, when, when we read the word, we can clue into that. Why on earth was there a dude bearing a shield going before Goliath? What's that going to do? Goliath is supposedly the champion. Well, that's because he was supposedly the champion. Again, he's a big fraud. He's a massive fraud. He's just a big, <laughs> literally a big fraud. Anyway, all right, verse 8. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Yeah, they were buying into the, the show. They were buying into the, the fraud that was Goliath. Now, David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the next unto him, Abinadab, and the third, Shaman, Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. Man, this guy. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. David's father is sending him to the battlefield to help, to be that, to 
with provisions. And now, and Saul, I'm sorry, it says verse 19. This is 1 Samuel 17. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse has, had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy, to defy Israel as he come up. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? Isn't that interesting that he was also more concerned about taking away the reproach from Israel, establishing that fearlessness that God Almighty establishes in each one of us spirit-filled Christians? True fearlessness. Yeah, we want to take away the reproach from from being a Christian, from walking in faith, from walking fearlessly. That's what we do as we walk fearlessly. We also eliminate that reproach. And there's there's been tremendous amount of reproach, which is reproach is um, being mocked and being put down. That's that's what reproach is. So for years, being a Christian has been mocked and put down. And, oh, why are you so religious? I'm not religious. I have great faith. I have faith in God Almighty. It's not religious at all. That's that same thing. So as we walk fearlessly, we also will take away the reproach of being a Christian, of being a true Christian, of truly living in the Spirit, of truly uh, walking by the Spirit. And it says, this is verse 26, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. He's going to get all these wonderful um, enrichments by the king, get a wife out of this father's house is all free. So David's looking into this going, well, geez, who do you think he is that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 28, and Eliab, his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mayest seest the battle. See that put down spirit in there too? You only have a few sheep that you're taking care of in the wilderness. I know thy pride and the the naughtiness of thy heart. That's also reproach, that put down spirit. And that happens when we we stand in great faith and when we declare God's righteousness, that's going to happen. And you know what? (laughs) Here's David's response. What have I done now? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. 
And the people answered him again after this, the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, the king here, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard, and I smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And Saul armed David with his armor. And he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor. And he essayed to go, for he had not proven it. He wasn't comfortable in the provisions that Saul was trying to provide. He he had to, uh uh-uh, this doesn't feel right. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proven them. And David put, put them off him. Here's what he did take. He didn't take the stuff that, a natural-minded man, someone who's fearful of this opposition, instructed him to take. No, he went to the Lord. He put his trust in God Almighty. Here's what he took. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Five smooth stones. Five the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. J-E-S-U-S, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. F-A-I-T-H, faith. Five smooth stones. And he put them in his bag. And the Philistine came on and drew near. Let's Before I move on, let's make sure we have those things always handy. We always have our faith. We always have Jesus. And we always have the fivefold ministry. If those things are new to you, go to getyourloveon.org. I'll reference them in the show archives, and you can learn more about that. But it's, it's critical. That's why David put those in his, in his bag. He chose them out of the brook, and he put them in his, in his shepherd's bag. Isn't that precious? Fivefold ministry, Jesus Christ, faith, and then everything else comes from that. And the Philistine came, came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. Here's this poor schmuck again. (laughs) Anyway, you know, I just, I have to laugh at Satan because he is a fraud and he is a coward. So you have this big shot Goliath and and he's got to have some schmuck with a shield in front of him. Anyway, all right. Verse verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about, he's looking around. He's thinking, okay, who's going to fight me from Israel? And saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest with, to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, small g. 
And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David, then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. We do the same thing spiritually every day for that same purpose, that all the earth may know that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the Son of God, that he gave us eternal salvation, and that as we stand for righteousness, he is standing with us. And we will be victorious through him as well. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. This isn't a sort of, uh, he's not doing this slowly. He's running after this guy. This is awesome. And David put his hand in his bag and took the stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. One shot was needed. When God's backing you up, <laughs> there's, there's no way around it. We need one name. Jesus Christ in Nazareth, Nazareth, to slay every single Goliath and to be victorious in any single battle that we face. Isn't it interesting, too, that he's chose the smooth stones out of the brook? If it had been a jagged stone, it probably wouldn't have sunk into his forehead. This is significant. So the Lord is illustrating his ways are perfect. And as we seek him, he will deliver the perfect instruction for us. In verse 50, this is 1 Samuel chapter 17. So David prevailed over the Philistine (laughs) with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. And uh, the chapter goes on to outline how David, yes, indeed, did take the head of the Philistine and did return um, all the Philistines' armor to camp and was entirely victorious the way God showed him he would be. That's true confidence. And that's our stance because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It also says that Christ is the word made flesh. So all the personalities of the Old Testament prophets and heroes, whether that's Ruth, Esther, David, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Daniel, all of them are in Christ. And and that's why all of these incredible, wonderful, miraculous um, works of God are ours as well. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're led of Christ, Our confidence is in him and him alone. So God gives us the perfect solution 100% of the time. All right, here we go now. I have a beautiful message. So I just mentioned how Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so 
as we walk this walk, if we want the same confidence of David, we have it through Christ immediately. As soon as we're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord says, here, here you go. All of I, all that I have is yours. And so as we get to know Christ, we will understand how to have this confidence every hour of every day, no matter what we face. So I have a beautiful message from a man who's much like King David, fearless defender of the righteousness of God. He's my spiritual grandfather, Brother Bob, and he teaches us of the personality of Jesus Christ, our strength and our song. And through his name, we will do valiantly. Here's Brother Bob and the personality of Jesus. I've got a very good and special message for you this morning. But may I talk to you out of my heart for just a moment. You know, for years, I went to Sunday school and church as a child. And I didn't learn one thing. I really didn't. All I learned was a religion. But 27 years later, God saved my soul, filled me with his Holy Spirit, and taught me the personality of Jesus Christ. Now, if I may at this time, folks, teach you the personality of Jesus Christ. I've been in the ministry now for 33 years, and I feel it's time that somebody should tell you how. I knew I should. I knew I could. But I didn't know how for 27 years. You know, that was hard on me. Very hard on me physically spiritually, and financially. And I know some of you folks are going through some of the same things that I went through for 27 years before I learned how. Come with me now to St. Matthew 12. Let's start at the uh, 25th verse. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and has revealed them unto babes. God is going to reveal his power and his strength to you at this time. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and to he or them, to whomsoever the Son Jesus will reveal him. God is going to reveal his son to you by his spirit at this time. Before God revealed his son unto me by his spirit, I knew very little about him. I knew there was a God. I knew there was a son, Jesus Christ. And I knew there was a Holy Spirit. But I didn't know how to have access to them. At this time, you will learn how to have access to the only mediator between man and God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the only mediator between God and man. And at this time, I want to minister to the unchurched, as well as to the churched people. This word is for everyone, regardless of who you are, or where you are, or what you do, or even what you think. Because Jesus himself said, faith cometh by hearing the word. I want to give you the real, true word of God at this time. Jesus' words were very simple. Jesus himself said, I am meek and lowly. 
but I'll, I'll get into that in just a moment. It is so simple to find true salvation. And I'm going to give you that simplicity at this time. Jesus himself, in simple words, in all of the New Testament, in his words, he never used much over a two-syllable word. He was that simple and easy to understand, except names of persons or places and things, nouns and pronouns. He said, Come unto me, all ye or you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's one of the greatest statements that has ever been written in a book on earth. That statement that Jesus made concerning you, concerning your life, concerning your future. Well, without Christ, you have no future. And with Christ, after you find him, you have no past. All you have is a future. I'll prove that in just a moment. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's simple. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall, positive, find rest unto your souls. Now there's another one of the greatest statements that was ever made and written and preserved for eternity. How many of you would like to find rest for your soul? I did. It took me 27 years to find rest for my soul. Perfect peace for my soul. And it was so simple. After I learned how, I didn't have to go through a man. I didn't have to go to an altar. I didn't have to do anything except what God told me to do. Right here in just a few moments, I'm going to tell you how to find perfect peace for your soul. How to have perfect contact with God Almighty through His Son Jesus. Right where you're at. Right where you stand or where you sit. Right where you are right now without having to go through anybody or anything or pay anybody anything. Uh-huh. Or to write in about anything. Jesus said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Since I have known Christ in the fullness, I have had no burden. None at all. My greatest burden has been to see souls instructed and won and find Jesus Christ. And that truly is no burden because his word does it for me. All I have to do is sit or stand and minister the word. That's how easy it is. All right. Since Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, let's go back now to the 28th verse. And I'll go over this just a little bit, word for word. Jesus said, first, come unto me. It's that simple, folks. Do you know how to come unto him? Do you know how I came unto him? When it came my time to be saved, I had never prayed before in my life. And I said, Lord, if you are a God, save my soul and let me die in peace. <clears throat> I spoke those words in an audible voice. That's how you come unto Jesus Christ, is with your own voice. Did you know that you are only one word one heartbeat, and one breath from God. And if you'll use that one word, one heartbeat, and one breath, you can receive Jesus Christ into your eternal soul and receive love, joy, and peace instantly with just that, like I said, 
one heartbeat, one breath, and one voice. Here is the answer right here. Come unto me. Say, Jesus, here am I. That's the voice. That's the breath. And that's the heartbeat that it takes to get to God. And that's all you need to get to God. It's that simple. That's how. <laughs> Bless your heart. I love you this morning. I love you, everyone. I really do. Mm -hmm. But listen to me. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. This is what Jesus came to relieve, was the labor and the heavy laden. The labor, labor of mind, body, soul, and spirit can be taken and turned into love, joy, and peace. Just with your breath, your breath, your heartbeat, and your voice. Just that quick. It only takes a second. But you have to make the first effort. You take the first step, and God, through His Son, will run to meet you. He's on His way right now to you. fact of the matter is, He's already there. All you have to do is say, Jesus, save my soul. Save me right now, Lord, and mean it, and you will feel His power. We have a God that can be felt. I tell everybody, it's better felt than telt. Mm -hmm. What would be a use of a God if you couldn't feel Him? What would be the use of a God if it took you 20 years to just uh, attain to bliss? <laughs> well, you can attain unto glory with one breath, one voice, and one heartbeat. You don't have to wait 20 years for bliss. You don't have to wait 20 years for, for God to make up His mind to save you. I waited 27 years to make up my mind to receive Him. <laughs> but that was my problem. I was the one that was doing the waiting. He was waiting too. He was waiting too. But why wait any longer? Now that you know that you don't have to go through a man or through a church service or an altar call or anything else to receive Jesus Christ or even pay for it. You don't even have to pay for it. Jesus paid it all when He paid it on the cross. What you do with your tithe and offering is between you and God. And oh yes, I'd like to say this to all you pastors out there. I believe that the tithe should go and stay with you local pastors like Jesus said. So I'm on your side, pastors. I'm on your side. God's on your side. So take heed, pastors and priests or whoever you are that teaches the Word of God. From Reverend Taylor, God bless you. As long as you're preaching it out of this whole King James Version, I'm on your side. God is on your side. And you folks that are in churches, you start praying for your pastors. You start praying that the Son of God will bless everyone in your midst and in your presence. And you will see a great change come over this land. Start loving one another with the peace of mind, body, soul, and spirit that God has given you. And start honoring Him for the power and the love and the joy and the peace that you already have. 
And then you will see your children, your grandchildren, your relatives, your loved ones come in and join you in love, joy, and peace wherever you be. I find people that come and hug me on the street, in the stores, wherever I go. I find the friends of Christ full of love toward me and toward God and show that love by a cheerful greeting and a great God bless you every once in a while. Even in my audience this morning, I have people that have been in my ministry for quite a few years, quite a number of years. And I see their example, how they treat other people, how they treat the neighbors, how they treat the children and the young people. You young people out there, I know you're looking for something because I was young once myself. I'm not that old yet, but I went through about the same thing that you're going through. I went through a hard time, a war time, and I know what you young people are suffering. You need attention. You need the attention of Jesus Christ. Try Him. Try Him. I'm not against rock and roll as long as it's the rock Christ Jesus and your name's written on His roll. That's the rock and roll that you need to get acquainted with today, young people. Now, I'm going to talk to you just out of my heart. I'm talking to you out of the Bible and also just out of my heart today, how I feel. But I want you to understand that the simplicity of Christ is great gain to you. One effort, one word, one voice, one breath is all it takes to change your eternal habitation, to change your life now forever. Let me go into another scripture here. Jesus was leading his disciples through a field one day, and the religious organizations were present. The representatives of those religious organizations were present. And Jesus said, as he went through this, the corn on the Sabbath day, his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. This is chapter 12 of Matthew, the first verse. But when the Pharisees saw, the, saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. I know there's a lot of laws on earth today, young people. I'm going to talk to you for a little while. But listen, the law of Christ covers it all. The Ten Commandments covers it all. It isn't the commandments that man has made. It is the commandments of God, the commandments that God has made. That's why his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's why he sent me to teach you how to learn of him. I want you to understand that it is so easy to love God and to love his son, Jesus Christ. No man comes unto the Father except by Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said that. No man cometh unto the Father except by me, through Jesus Christ. Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All the natural laws out here doesn't mean a thing to him because the spiritual law covers it all. The spiritual law covers the natural law. All of our natural laws in the United States of America are based on the Bible and on the laws of the Bible because there's no other, uh, there's no other book. There's no other writing. There's no other record of the real law except in the Bible. Uh -huh. I prefer the King James Version. 
I also use the Catholic Douay Bible, the Catholic TAN. It is a very good version of the Bible, and it gives you all the information you will need. I use several other different types of the Bible and different writings of the Bible, but they're all based on the King James Version. So if you go to buy a Bible and want to learn of Christ, buy a King James Version. It's the simplest, and it lines up with the original transcript. But as they went through the fields, the scribes and the Pharisees said it's not lawful to do this, but look how Jesus put it. He made a way for them. He said, have you not read what David did when he was hungered and that he, they were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the shoe bread that was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them that were with him, but only for the priest? Have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple, speaking of himself. There is one greater than all the laws on earth. There is one greater than all the religions on earth. And he's yours for the asking in simplicity. He's yours personally. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. Some of you young people out there have been told that you've sinned so much there's no, no hope for you anymore. That's not true. As far as God is concerned, you are guiltless. You are guiltless as soon as you say, Lord, here am I, forgive me, and save my soul. Lord, forgive me, and give me that peace of mind, body, soul, and spirit. Jesus of Nazareth, here am I. Take me as I am, Lord. And he doesn't care what you look like or how you're dressed or anything else. Once you find him and receive his spirit, he will take care of you. I want to say a few words today also to the shut-ins and to the elderly. On these broadcasts, I will be talking individually to many of you, to many different types and factions of people. And I want you to know that you are dearly beloved and that you are thought of and that you are cared about. I want you to understand that there is a man, a man of God that does care, that really cares. Jesus said, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. You know, every day is a Sabbath day to me. Seven days a week. I worship God seven days a week. But I carry Him within me. I have His love within me. I have His Spirit within me. And it is for you. Make every day a Sabbath day before God. And your life, well, your flesh will no longer suffer. Your life will change. Your mind will change. Your family will change. Your husband and your wife will change. Grandma and grandpa will change. Because God is the changer. He can change you. He will change you. In simplicity now, folks. Remember, just in simplicity. It's been a great day for me in this last day. We are in the most perilous times that the earth has ever known. And probably the most perilous times that the earth will ever know. We are in the day of the atheist right now. He's having his playing. But the atheist means nothing to God. Jesus said, come unto me. And that even includes you professing atheists out there. You professing atheists that would destroy this word and this Bible, you have no power. 
You have no power over the young people, nor over this generation. I've been watching and listening to the atheist speak and talk. Some of you folks out there don't even know what an atheist is or how to recognize them. Well, anybody that believes in Darwin is an atheist. Anybody that believes in evolution is an atheist. This is some of the things that I'm going to teach you people this next coming year. I'll be there to minister to you and to teach you the necessary things to get you converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, to get you filled with love and joy and peace, to get you delivered from habits, alcohol, and whatever you may be bound with. But it'll be done between you, the Lord, and I, and nobody else. God is the deliverer. Jesus Christ is the healer. In the Old Testament, it said, by his stripes, you are healed. That means physically, spiritually, and financially, looking to the cross. In Peter, it says, by his stripes, you were healed, physically, spiritually, and financially, looking back to the cross. But here's something I would also like to add. Jesus Christ is no longer on that cross. He was taken down, buried, descended into the nether parts of the earth for three days and three nights, and rose, and went into glory, and sat, and is sitting, yet on the right hand of his Father. See, he's no longer on the cross. That's why you can talk to him. And later on in these broadcasts, I'm going to teach you how to receive the Holy Spirit, how to have a spirit that talks direct to God, or the spirit that can talk direct to God the Father. That's why Jesus is the mediator between God and man. But first you've got to ask him. You've got to say, Lord, forgive me, and receive him. It's that simple. You don't have to go through a, anything. Just open your mouth and let the words come out. Just open your mouth wherever you are and acknowledge him and let him know that you want him. He's waiting on you because he wants you. He said, come unto me. I know I repeat a lot, but it's necessary to get my point over because there's so many that need to hear the simplicity of the Word of God. Keep your life simple, folks. Get your life simple. Simply trust in God. Simply let your faith go to God. That's how it's done. He's waiting on you. Let your faith go to God in simplicity. It doesn't make any difference whether you're in your kitchen, driving down the road in your car or your truck, riding your tractor in the field, working in the timber as a, on a chainsaw or anything else. He can hear you above all noise. Don't worry about what's going on around you. Just let God know that you are there because he's no longer on the cross. He's standing there waiting on you. It's that simple. I remember a lady had me to pray for her one time, and she had Christ on the cross in her room. And I said, little lady, Jesus is no longer on that cross. He's standing right here by side of you. And she realized that she had been, well, she said, I know now I've always worshipped Christ, and I've always loved him, but I see I've worshipped him in the wrong way. And she said, now I know he stands here beside me. And just that quick, God healed her. She, she was dying of cancer. And that lady is still alive today.
Mm-hmm. When I received the Lord, I was a terminal cancer patient. I will give a broadcast on this very soon about my testimony, how God healed me as a terminal cancer patient 33 years ago. Well, folks, I see my time is starting to get away. I want to say, may God richly bless you and May you say, Lord, here am I, receive my soul into thy care. God bless you very, very much now, and watch for me. I will be on these broadcasts just for you. And as I say, God bless you, I love you very much, and I will be praying for you. Bye now. up that morning ready to go with my brother to the Sea of Galilee to work on our boat we grabbed our nets and our oars and we set afloat little did we know exactly how that day would go Like every other day we cast out our nets Hoping that we'd pull them in full of fish and their flesh But when we looked upon the shore We saw a man With Jesus of Nazareth Held out his hand and he said Follow me and I will make you fish as a man And we straightway left our nets and We followed him Follow me and I will make you Fish as a man And we straightway left our nets And we followed him about all of Galilee, watching him teaching and preaching the gospel, and healing all manner of sickness and disease from the people. And why would we leave behind everything that we had known? Because there is no doubt when the Lord comes to your soul, and he said, follow me and I will make you fish as a man. And we straightway left our nets and we followed him follow me and i will make you fish as a man and we straightway left our nets and we followed him And that was an original song by a great man of God named Jared and uh, an awesome song called We Followed Him. And I love the lyric, too. It says, no doubt when the Lord calls your soul. And that's what David demonstrated with Goliath. That's what Brother Bob demonstrated. The Lord called 
these men's soul and boom, they ran towards him. And that's what we get to do every single day. This is Get Your Love on Radio. My name is Julie Bueller. Privileged to be here with you and uh, so awesome to be sharing God's love through the truth of his word. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. And um, if you're new to the show, first of all, thank you for finding us. We love you and and we're happy to have you here. And um, today we also have another treat from another minister, our, our dear friend, Corey. And this is part two of a message he did that the Lord's given him great wisdom and understanding on the Sermon on the Mount from the book of Matthew. And we heard part one a couple weeks ago. If you missed that, you can go to getyourloveon.org for the show archives. I will reference it in today's show archive too, but this message definitely stands on its own and it's incredible wisdom. Also, really exciting work being done by our team here at Get Your Love On. We have some exceptional videos on YouTube that feature this teaching, and um, they're all about 15 minutes long. So you'll get blessed and you'll get the knowledge of Christ. So you can check them out on, again, we have a video tab on the website, getyourloveon.org, and they're all right there for you. So we want to make sure that you get this knowledge and that you have it accessible to you when, uh, when you have those quiet times before the Lord. And you can, we can kind of peel away the distractions of this life and just really spend that time with the Lord. We've got some really good resources for you at the website. So this is, again, part two of the Sermon on the Mount. And after listening to this, I guarantee you, you will never look at salt, light, or your own soul the same way. This is that good. The title of today's message is The Sermon on the Mount, Part Two. We did a previous message on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to continue today in Matthew 5. Now, the previous message, uh, we covered what was known as the Beatitudes. These were the blessings that the Lord proclaimed at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Beatitudes, those were the Lord's introduction to his own true nature. And it was the general outline of the requirements that were to be met by anyone that would be his disciple. He was at those blessings that he proclaimed. He was actually telling us his nature and how we are to be like him and that we will be blessed in that. Now, after he proclaimed those beatitudes, those blessings, the Lord, who is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that's who we're talking about when we speak of the Lord, he went on to explain what it actually meant to truly be his disciples. So we'll start today, today's message here, Matthew 5, in verse 13. And the Lord says this, Ye are the salt of the earth. He's talking to his disciples. The earth, it refers to not just the planet that we're on or the ground that we walk on, but it also refers to the inhabitants of the earth, the human beings that live on earth. Now salt, so, what, so when he's talking to the salt of the earth, he's talking about people. We are the salt of the people, the human race. Now, salt, that was a, historically, that was a quite a valuable commodity. It was mined or extracted from seawater, and it was traded. And sometimes it was transported great distances in trade for spices or whatever else. And uh, we take it for granted today because it's, it's so prevalent, but back in the the earlier times, uh, before we had uh, modern industry, it was uh, it was something that was worth buying and selling for, and you can you can get wealthy off of trading salt. 
The other thing about salt is it's necessary for life and health. We cannot survive without salt in taking to our diet. It's actually almost as important as water as far as the functioning of our body. It's very, very critical. Like the salt being uh, valuable and being necessary for life, that's how God views us among the human race. And he's talking about his disciples, his, the Christians, the spirit-filled, faithful Christians that believe on him and walk in his spirit. He views us as being very valuable and he views us as part of what makes, gives life to the human race and makes it functional and worthwhile to interact with. Another aspect of salt is it's a flavor. It's used to make food taste palatable. Like there's a lot of things that we eat that are, it can be quite bland or distasteful if we ate them just by themselves, but you add, add salt to them, that seasoning makes it much more palatable and pleasant to the taste. So the Lord views us that way too, that part of humanity that's pleasant and palatable to him. That's what, he's, that's what he sees in us as his disciples. But the primary use of salt historically, and this is, this is quite interesting. The primary use of salt was as a food preservative. Salt protects against corruption or destruction. When, you, when they wanted to preserve meat or other things that would rot, before they had refrigeration, a lot of times that was what they do. They would salt it. You'd salt meat or you salt fish or even vegetables. They'd soak it in brine like sauerkraut or pickles. And what the salt does is it creates an environment where bacteria can't grow. And so the food that would normally be corrupted by that bacteria it stays preserved. So when the Lord says that we, the believing, spirit-filled Christian, are the salt of the earth, he's directly addressing us, addressing his disciples back then and today, that we are the reason that God is interested in the human race at all. We are what provides that flavor in the spirit. We are what have that value within us that he wants. We're the reason that God has not yet destroyed the world for the evil in it. We are that preservative that keeps this world from just the Lord just completely wiping it out because there's still something left here that he wants to, that he wants to get. And there's still something here left that has that savor that he enjoys and is pleasing to him. Mm -hmm. So being the salt of the earth, that's what's preserving the earth from destruction until the Lord is finally and completely finished with all of it. Now, that's the appointment of God, being the salt of the earth. That's not of us, ourselves, oh, we're the great ones that are preserving the world. That's the appointment of God. And when the Lord gave this appointment to us, you are the salt of the earth, he also gave a warning to stay in that estate as well. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but... If the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. See, how do you salt salt? Salt is the thing that does the salting. So if salt can't do the salting, then 
it's pretty much negated its own purpose. You can't, you can't salt the salt with something else that's salt, because salt is salt. I know, it's kind of funny, but that's it. That's the point he's making. Mm -hmm. Now, when it says lost his savor, in the Greek, this means to become insipid. Now, the word insipid means dull, tasteless, uninteresting, lifeless, or without spirit. In a figurative sense, it can also mean to act a simpleton, to become a fool or make foolish. So it's more than just losing that appealing flavor to the Lord. It's actually going beyond that. To become a fool, the scripture says, the fool hath said in his heart, not just spoken the words, but believes it in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And speaking of the fool that doesn't believe there is a God. So according to the scripture, a fool is one who is godless, capital G, without any genuine belief in God, capital G, and incapable of doing the righteous works of God, capital G. So the purpose of salt, the disciples of Christ, us, is to provide that spiritual flavor that's palatable to God and to preserve from corruption that which we are applied to. So when you, when you salt something, that salt is being applied to what is to be preserved. In a spiritual sense, being the salt of the earth, when we're applied to something that's to be preserved, that's like us preaching to souls that need to hear the word of God. We're preserving them for the kingdom of God rather than destruction. When we make intercessory prayer for souls, we're making that preservation action on behalf of that soul to draw them out of evil, draw them out of the affliction of the devil, preserve them from that. We, when we teach the sound doctrine, not just, oh, I'm putting my own spin on the scriptures, but teaching sound, true doctrine, the true gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we preserve souls from the lies that are told, even the ones out of that ungodly spirits will do using the scriptures. Mm -hmm. When we keep ourselves pure and in a pure and righteous walk with God, we're also preserving ourselves. We're preserving ourselves from corruption and destruction as well by staying close to the Lord and staying prayed up and staying in his uh, straight and narrow path. So the Lord said, if the salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. In other words, those that will not carry out God's purposes, because the purpose of that salt is to preserve and to provide that flavor for the Lord. But if they will not, a soul will not carry out those purposes, they're rejected by God because they're of no use to him. So what happens? They're cast out and trodden under foot of men. And that trodden underfoot of man, that's a type of being in subjection to the flesh and not the Spirit of God. They're under that foot of man. The Lord's, the Lord's covering, the Lord's blessing has been removed, and they're subject to whatever oppression comes to them from the flesh, and Satan is behind that. So it's a, it's a, it's a fearful thing to fall an, into the hands of the living God, but it's an even more fearful thing to fall out of them. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing to remember. So we just stick with the Lord. Keep doing everything he has for us to do. Verse 14. 
You are the light of the world. Now, this is quite a statement speaking to us here. At the very beginning of creation, God made a distinction between good and evil. And he separated the one from the other. They did not mix. They did not belong together. I'll I'll read Genesis 1, a couple of verses out of Genesis 1 here. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. The light was good. Not everything was good. The light was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. That's Genesis 1, verses 3 and 4. Now that word divided, in the Hebrew, that means to distinguish, to differ, or select, to make a difference or a separation. So God, when God divided the light from the darkness, he, made it, he established that there was a difference between those two things. One was good and one wasn't. And he separated the good from the evil. So when Jesus tells us that you are the light of the world, again, he's talk, he was talking to his disciples back then, but he's talking to his disciples today too, because that word is eternal. He's telling us that we are to be separate and different from the world. We do not mix with the world, and we do not belong to the world. We belong to God. That's what it means to be the light of the world. It's to be separate and be different. And there's more to it that we're going to get into here. Now, when God said, let there be light, that was a commandment of God to be obeyed. God did not say, let all be light. Then it would have, everything would have had to obey. He just said, let there be light. And he left the choice up to his creation, what it was going to be. Some parts obeyed that commandment and became light. Other parts of his creation disobeyed that commandment and remained dark. Even at the very beginning of creation, there was a will toward God and there was a will against God, right at the very beginning. So when Jesus tells us that we're his disciples, it's because he called us out of the world. We heard his voice and we obeyed his voice. We came to him, draw near to him, come to, came to know him, and be like him. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Can't hide that city up on the hill. It's there. There's no way to cover it. What does he mean by that? Even if a person does not know who or what you are, Christians, the spirit or spirits in them do. And they will respond to your presence accordingly. In other words, light and darkness do not mix. When someone comes into your presence, there's going to be one of two things that happens. They're either going to be drawn to you because they have the appointment of God on them to be drawn to you, or they may even, or they may even have the spirit of the Lord like you do and be drawn to that spirit of the Lord in you. Or the other way it can go is they're not of God. They have other spirits that are of the devil, and they'll hate you. And I've, I've seen it both ways. I've run into people that took an instant, instant hatred to me, didn't know me from a hole in the ground, never met me. But as soon as I walked in the door, you could feel it, that instant hatred. And I'm sure many of you have felt the same thing at different times. And I've, I've felt the other ways too. There's, I remember in particular, there was, there was one saint. Her name's Irene. I hadn't really interacted much with her, but... There was one time we were having a little ga- a gathering and I walked in and I looked at her across the room and 
it was just like meeting an old friend. We just walked up and hugged and said, hi, how are you doing? All the rest. Of it. And it was just the sweetest interaction. And it just felt like I'd known her forever, even though I'd probably hardly said two words to her before that. There's the witness of the Holy Ghost recognizing one another, having that love between one another. It's a spiritual thing. It's not something that can be understood or comprehended by man. It's spiritual. So that when that city is set on the hill, it is recognized in the spirit, even though the person that in which that spirit or spirits is in doesn't know it themselves. The spirits in them do. And I say spirit or spirits because if there's spirits multiple, that means ungodly spirits. There's all kinds of ungodly spirits. When I say spirit, singular, the spirit, that's the Holy Ghost I'm talking about. There's only one Holy Ghost. There's multiple spirits, it's something else. So remember that. Yeah, so the, the Lord knows who are his. We have that interaction and that recognition one with another when we have the Holy Ghost. And the Lord, when he knows who are his, he does not and cannot deny himself. It's impossible for God to deny himself. And those, and those that are appointed to have the Spirit of God in their life, they will be drawn to you. Whether they go all the way and become Spirit-filled, believing Christians, or even if it's just to have the blessing of you in their life, even if it's just that, they'll be, the Lord will draw them to whatever degree he has for them to walk before him. Yeah, and some, yeah, some people, it's just a, having that very sweet interaction at the store or at the coffee shop or whatever. Sometimes it's just that. And others will go all the way. Mm -hmm. It's according to the appointment of God. So a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel or under a bucket, but on a candlestick. Yeah, you don't take a flashlight when you're trying to do something and stick it in a bucket in the corner. No, you, you're holding it right there just so you can see what you're doing. Goes, so the candle goes on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. In other words, set in its proper place and given its proper application. We don't play with the Spirit. That's not what it's for. It's not to show how holy or spiritual we are. It's for the blessing of God upon every soul to whom it's appointed. A house is a residence or dwelling place for a specific group of people. Usually they're related, parents, children, grandparents, etc. But it's a group of people who have a close or familiar relationship with one another. That's who gets that light that's given out. A house or a household can include parents or children or relatives. Like I said, could be grandparents, could be nieces, nephews, uncles, whoever happens to be there. It can also be friends, close friends that live under the same roof can also apply to guests and servants. That word house or household is a bit of a broad application. But the, the idea is that it's all those under that same roof that dwell together, whatever their relationship and status is towards one another. Now, a lit candle, that may be visible to those outside of the house, even at great distances. You can be a mile away, you could see a lit candle through a window. But you can't read by that light. You can perceive it, but you can't do anything by it because they're too far away. But that lit candle, that's, it's with those that within the, are within the house get the full benefit of the candlelight. Those that are in the house. And the closer one is to a source of light, the more clearly they can see by it. So the closer you are to that lit candle, the 
better, the easier it is, and the more clearly you can perceive to do things. And that's the purpose of light. The purpose of light is to provide illumination, the ability to see, or to give the ability to see, I should say, and give the ability to see more clearly. Mm -hmm. Go from being blind to being able to see, to go from struggling to read something to being able to read it clearly. It's a spiritual illumination. That's what light is, according to the scriptures. Spiritual illumination or light in the scriptures is knowledge, understanding, discernment, righteousness, honor, majesty, glory, favor, love, safety, life. All of these things I just listed off, they're in the scriptures one place or another in the context of light. Do look that word up in the concordance and see how many scriptures have that word light in them. There's a lot. And it's a very broad application. They're all, notice they're all positive things. They're all things that deliver a soul from evil in one way or another. Like even honor and majesty, that's a deliverance from evil. Because that's going to a high and beautiful habitation rather than a low and unpleasant one. So spiritual illumination, that's what we're here to provide while we're walking through this world. The other thing about light is they didn't have electricity back when these scriptures were written. So light was typically fire, whether it was a candle or a torch or an oil lamp, something on fire. And scripture says our God is a consuming fire. So light and fire go together. Mm -hmm. The Spirit of the Lord. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's 1 John 1 verse 5. God is light. When the Lord tells us that we are the light of the world, that means we have God within us. And we are to let God shine out of us. That's putting that light on a candlestick, to letting, letting the Lord shine out of us and provide that blessing to whosoever it's appointed to. All that are in the house, and it is all that are in the house, that refers to every soul that God puts in our way, that God gives us some degree of personal interaction with. That's really what it comes down to, is that personal interaction with the souls the Lord puts in our way. And he gives us the responsibility to show the true nature of his spirit, to show that light by our words, by our actions, by our conduct, by the gifts, the spiritual gifts that the Lord works through us. Miracles, healings, prophecy, etc. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge for a matter that needs to be dealt with, mm-hmm. that's a gift of God. We show that light of God through the blessings on our life. The Lord preserves us from the affliction of the devil and those things that come upon those that don't have the Lord because that co- they don't have that protection upon them. We have that blessing on our life. We have the joy within us to serve the Lord and have perfect peace no matter what we go through. That's a blessing of God. And people see that upon us. Mm-hmm. So we show that light, having that, having that peace and great trial. That's 
quite a testimony. And people do notice that sort of thing. That love one towards another, that's another one. The Lord said that love we have towards one another is how they will know that we're his disciples. Having that love and that, that humility and that care and kindness towards one another. It's our testimony. That, that's what it means to be the light of the world, is to have that testimony of God in our life and upon our walk in the Spirit. And we show it forth in whatever capacity the Lord gives us to show it. And, and whoever's appointed, the Lord will draw them to us and they'll go as far as God appoints them to go. Our job is just to step it through and be that good example and show, show the love and the blessing of God and teach those souls. That's another thing about illumination is it delivers them from spiritual blindness. When you close your eyes, what do you see? Just close your eyes for a second. Anybody see anything? I don't, it's, I, well, I can't read my notes now, but see, it's black. I can't read my notes with my eyes closed, but spiritual illumination, that light, it opens the eyes. You can perceive. So the thing, the thing about the sense of sight is you can discern the form of something by touching it and feeling it, but you've got, it's got to be right there. You've got to like have it in your hands, be able to tell what it is. But sight, you can perceive at great distances. Be something can be a mile away, and you can tell what it is. It's just so much farther above and beyond having just that limited sense of getting by feel, but when you have sight, spiritual sight, what I'm talking about here, it just opens up a whole new world to you, basically. Yeah, that's why the Lord delivered the blind men when they came to him, because he, he knew the spiritual significance of that estate and what it meant to the human soul to be able to see, to be able to see him and be able to follow him in that light. So our testimony that is the light that shines. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's verse 16 here. Now this is very important. Jesus does state here that it's your light that shines and it's your good works that they see because he gives us, the believing, spirit-filled Christians, the responsibility to be his representatives. To be the light of the world is to be the representatives of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But that light and that saltiness we talked about earlier, those are not within us of ourselves. Those are put there by God. They're put in us by God according to his will for his purposes and his glory. It's not for us to show how great or how holy or how powerful we think we are. It's to show the glory of God and the blessing of God and the love of God. That's what it's there for. And there's a great safety in staying humble before God, recognizing who and what he is and that we are here to represent him and not lift ourselves up to be some great one ourselves. It's great safety in not being puffed up and in not trying to establish our own self-righteousness. We're not here to establish our own self-righteousness. We're here to establish the righteousness of God. I'll give you a couple of verses you can look up for yourselves on this. Romans 10.3. Very good one. Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. That was a parable the Lord said about those that thought themselves to be righteous. And it's very good instruction. You can read it for yourselves. It's at, the lesson is very clear there. Now, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son, the son of God, is the intercessor between God and man. 
He's the intercessor for us with God. No one else can take that place. But as Christians, we carry out a similar role as ambassadors of Christ to the souls that are appointed to personally interact with us. We're ambassadors. We're the Lord's representatives in this foreign place we call planet Earth. We have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. So God is light and God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. There's the keystone that holds our walk together. Showing that love one for another, having that mercy on the human soul, whatever their estate may be. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. And there's, there is a day of judgment coming. But we have boldness in that because as he is, as God is, so are we in this world. Now, the scripture I just read, that was 1 John 4, verses 16 and 17. So we are to be as God is, walking through this world. Jesus Christ of Nazareth was God incarnate in flesh. And he walked on this earth to be the gold standard that we were to follow as we walk on this earth for our appointed season. So we show the same love, the same authority in the spirit, the same care for one another that he did. We don't have to go to the cross like he did, being crucified for the sins of the world. Again, only he could do that. But we still have to bear our own cross, whatever it may be, and follow after him, follow in his footsteps. Now, another thing about light is light is the first fruits of God's creation. Out of all the things God created, light was the very first thing that he spoke into being the first fruits of his creation. Now, the first fruits, scripturally, that's the best and choicest part of all. The, most, the best and choicest part of all God's creation is light. So guess what? When he says that we are the light of the world, he sees us as being the best and choicest part of all his creation. The other thing about the first fruits, in the Old Testament, when they made offerings to the Lord, it was the first fruits that were brought in as the offering to God. It wasn't the leftovers. It was the first, the best, the choicest part that was dedicated to the Lord. That's what we are to be in our lives. We're dedicated to the Lord. The Lord just showed that to me right now. Kind of interesting. But yeah, the Lord will reveal things in the spirit and the appointed hour that is needed. Now, up to this point in Matthew 5, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He was talking to us, the believing, spirit-filled Christian. He was telling his disciples what they were and how they were to be. But from this point on in Matthew 5, verse 17, the Sermon on the Mount was directed towards the mixed multitude to give them spiritual instruction. There's a, there was a whole multitude of people there, but he spoke to his disciples first to establish, establish them in their walk, where they needed to be and what they needed to be about. And then he went to the rest of the people that were there. Some were there to hear him and grow in the spirit. Some were just there for the miracles and the loaves and the fishes. Some were there to oppose him. We're going to get into that too. So verse 17. Now, when I say he's speaking towards the mixed multitude, that also includes the disciples being there among them. The, everything we cover, even though it was directed towards 
the multitudes, it, it does apply for us too. We are to follow these things as well. But again, the first fruits of the word were given to his disciples. So verse 17, the Lord says this, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now he's speaking of the Old Testament, the word of the Lord that was given by his holy prophets to the people of God. And he's speaking of the law of God that was communicated by Moses. Now the law of Moses, that required ritual sacrifice of animals to atone for sin. It required ritual cleansing of people and objects that were considered unclean. It required ritual remembrance of God by yearly feasts. It required a literal keeping of the Sabbath. Back in the Old Testament, to keep the Sabbath literally meant they sat in their tents and did nothing. They couldn't so much as go out and get a bucket of water or whatever. They had to do something they prepared beforehand. Like they couldn't even cook a meal. They had to cook their meal beforehand and then eat it on the Sabbath. They could not even cook their own food. They had to sit and be quiet before the Lord because it was the day of rest. Because the Lord created heaven and earth in those six days and then the seventh day he rested. And he wanted his people to follow that example, to do what he did and be like him. There's a lot to that. Another thing about the law of Moses, he gave us, there was, he gave the commandments that were to be followed by the people. It was basically an outline of how to be like God, and how to conduct ourselves according to his spirit, even though the fullness of the spirit hadn't been given to them yet. Given, he gave a, was a, basically like a school curriculum. You think of it that way. They had to step through all these things to get that training. Now, the thing about the commandments of the Old Testament, a lot of them, there was a death penalty associated with breaking them. Like breaking the Sabbath, that was the death penalty if they did not follow that. They did not sit quiet in their tents and do nothing. The death penalty came upon them for breaking that. It's quite severe. Now, this wasn't just done arbitrarily. There had to be two or three witnesses to establish that, yes, something had been done. But that death penalty did come upon people for breaking that old law. So it was quite something to live under that. The Lord had his purposes in it. God had his purposes in it. Mm -hmm. And But when Jesus came, he said, I'm not, I didn't come to destroy this. I came to fulfill it. What does that mean? To fulfill... In the Greek, that means to make replete or fill completely. In a literal sense, you could think of it as cramming a net or leveling up a hollow, filling in that missing space that hasn't been filled yet, bringing it up to full. In a figurative sense, to fulfill means to satisfy the requirements, to execute an office, to finish a task or a period of time to verify a prediction or prophecy. Yeah, the Lord verified or fulfilled the prophecies that went out from the Lord's, from the holy prophets of the Old Testament. To fulfill also means to be complete or perfect. The New Testament of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, it did not throw down or demolish the Old Testament. He didn't, he said, I didn't come to destroy this. But the New Testament perfected the Old Testament by conversion from a natural performance of the law into a spiritual performance of the law. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the New Testament, is the spiritual performance of the unalterable and spiritual law of God. The law that he gave to Moses, even though it was followed in a natural sense, and there were physical things that had to be done, and there were physical consequences for breaking those commandments, the law itself was spiritual. Because it was, again, I said, like it's a curriculum for them to follow to be like God. And all the rituals that were associated with their sacrifices and the cleansing and the remembrance of God with those feasts, that was a figure of what was to come when it was made full and complete in the Spirit. It was just, it was just a type and a figure of what was to come down the road. But the law of God is spiritual and it's unalterable. What goes out of his lips does not change. And that's very important because the devil will say, oh, that applied back then, doesn't apply today. He'll say, oh, God didn't really mean that. He means something different. And the devil will say that God's changeable. It's not true. God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Lord, one with God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now in converting the law of the Old Testament from a natural performance into a spiritual performance, it didn't do away with those, the requirements. It just moved them into a better way of doing it. Going from natural to spiritual, I'll, I'll cover this a little bit. When they required ritual sacrifice of animals to atone for sin, back in the Old Testament, yeah, they had to sacrifice, physically kill those bulls and goats, cut them up, wash them, lay them out on the altar, all the rest of it, sprinkle their blood. They had to do that, the physical acts to atone for sin. But when the New Testament came, there was one sacrifice made. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified on that cross. He was put to death and his blood was shed to atone for the sins of the world. Once for all time, for all. Once and for all and for all time. So he kept the Old Testament law in having that done to him. And guess who did it? We'll touch on this later too, but it was the high priests at Jerusalem that caused that sacrifice to happen, which again lined up with the Old Testament law. It was the high priest that had to go in and make that sacrifice and atonement for the people. Again, the Old Testament law, it required ritual cleansing of people and objects that were considered unclean. Today, we're washed by the word of God spiritually. That's what the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin, but that word of God going out, the scriptures being preached by the anointing of the Holy Ghost that washes the human soul, cleanses the mind, and brings us into that clean and pure estate before God, spiritually speaking. Old Testament, there was a ritual remembrance of God by yearly feasts. They had to gather together and have that fellowship with one another before God. Mm-hmm. Break that bread together before God. Again, we do that today by the Spirit. We're doing it right now. We're opening the book and we're sharing the Word of God, the bread of life. That is Jesus Christ himself. We're sharing that one with another today. And we're remembering God in it. We're, we're doing that yearly feast right now, spiritually speaking. And we do that daily, remembering God. Every day, every hour, every minute. We keep that remembrance before him. They had a literal keeping of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. Today, 
And that Sabbath was every seven days. Today, it's every day. That Sabbath is rest from our own works. That's the point God was making, is I rested from my works, so now you rest from your works. And that's what we do in the Spirit today. We rest from our own works and wait on the Lord. Mm. Now, it doesn't, now, this doesn't mean we don't have jobs and all the other business that goes along with everyday life. Again, it's spiritual. We have that rest within our souls. We're not all wound up in what's the next thing, what's the next bill payment, what's the next uh, thing we want to buy, whatever. No, we rest in the Lord and he takes care of it. We just step it through with him. We have that rest from the works of the world. It doesn't consume us. So that's keeping the Sabbath. Again, in the Old Testament, there was a death penalty for breaking God's commandments. Actually, the death penalty was established long before the law of Moses came along. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, he told Adam and Eve they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they did, they would die. That's that was the establishment of the death penalty right back then for breaking the commandment of God. And that penalty has never been revoked. It was remitted or pardoned when the Lord made that sacrifice and took all our sin upon him. He, he died in our place. But the death penalty, again, that's a spiritual consequence of breaking the Lord's commandments. Spiritually speaking, when we leave this world, there's one of two directions we can go. We can go up or we can go down. Those that keep the Lord's commandments have entered into that atonement that the Lord Jesus Christ made and followed it fully to the end. They go up. Those that did not follow the Lord's commandments and did not enter into the atonement of Jesus Christ, they go down. So when, when Jesus Christ of Nazareth died on the cross, he did die for the sins of the whole world. But that was a gift, and a gift can be refused. It can be accepted or it can be refused. So entering into that atonement and partaking of it means believing it and taking on everything the Lord has for us and instructs us to take on, to walk through this world like him. That's what it means to partake in that atonement. And if that's not done, that atonement isn't, it isn't, applied. That gift has been rejected, and that soul that rejects it, they go down when they die. They don't go up. But again, a soul that sins, and well, I'm going to cover that too, but they come, if they sin, but then they come out from under that sin and come into the fullness of the Lord, they've accepted that gift, and they can go on with the Lord and go up when they leave this world. So that's really just a basic summary of what the New Testament did in reference to the Old Testament. The reason the Lord established this, that conversion from a natural performance of the law into a spiritual performance of the law, it was so that we also could be converted from limited natural beings that serve the flesh, that serve the world, into perfect spiritual beings that serve God in the Spirit. Jesus Christ, the Lord, said this, God is a spirit. So God is light. God is love. God is a spirit, or the spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's John 4, 24. 
You want the reference. So the Lord converted that natural Old Testament performance of the law into a spiritual performance of his law to make it easier for us to step through it and to give us access to every reward that he had for us. Because the thing about God is he loves the human soul. He created the human soul. He shapes the human soul. And he wants the soul to be with him, to be one with him and be like him. But he also gave the human soul the choice whether or not to do that. The choice to accept his gift or to reject it. So he made a way for us to go there. Verse 18, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now a jot or a tittle, that's a small character or a mark in the Hebrew or Greek text in which the original scriptures are written. The word jot in particular, that's actually derivative of the word uh, yot, which was one of the Hebrew letters. It was actually, the, physically, it was the smallest Hebrew letter. It was just kind of like a little tick mark, very tiny. But even though it was small or se seemingly insignificant, those marks, those jots and tittles, those little characters, they were written there for a reason. They have a meaning and they have a significance. And what was written would have a different meaning without them. So they were, even though they were, those jots and tittles were very small, they were important. They had great significance. And it's the same with the law of God. Even though some things may seem minor or insignificant, every part is important and has great significance to God. Everything that God has given us to do, even though some things may seem small, if God's telling us that we need to do it, then we need to do it. Because even if we don't have the understanding as human beings, God knows the significance of it. So that's part of having faith in God, is just believing that what he says is true, and that when he says something is necessary, yes, it is necessary, we obey him and we do it. Now, the Lord also gave a time frame on this too. He said, until heaven and earth pass, until all be fulfilled. Now, the word fulfilled in verse 18 has a slightly different meaning than in the previous verse. It means to cause to be or to come into being. So he's saying nothing will pass from the law till all come into being or be fulfilled. As long as heaven and earth stand, the unalterable law of God stands also. It doesn't change. And heaven and earth stand only as long as there's still something that God wants to accomplish here and no longer. Like we talked about earlier with the salt. There's a preservation in having the saints here on this earth, as long as God appoints that to be. Mm -hmm. But when that time frame passes, here's what the Lord said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Jesus Christ himself said that, these exact words, in three different places. Matthew 24, 35, Mark 13, 31, Luke 21, 33. I said this three times in the Gospels. It's it recorded three times in the Gospels, so it must be very important. Another reference to this is 2 Peter 3. You can read through that chapter. It lines up with what the Lord said here. Now, the reason I'm, I am going to make a slight detour here and cover some things here, 
just because of certain teachings that have gone out over many years that need to be addressed. Certain false teachings, I should say. Now again, the law of God is unalterable and it stands. It doesn't change. Like I, like I said earlier, the agents of opposition to God, the agents of Satan, they'll say, oh, it's changeable and it doesn't mean what it said. But no, it stays the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And it's not done away with. It stands forever. Now, speaking of heaven, because he says, heaven and earth shall pass away. A number of scriptures refer to God the Father being in heaven. The reason this was said is heaven is used as a measure of time and space. It's a simple illustration of where God is relative to where this world is. It's far and above and beyond where any natural man can go. Because remember, again, when, this, when these scriptures were first written, that was long before we had any technology of flight. Man couldn't fly. We didn't have the machines developed to do that. So when, when it was spoken of God being in heaven, that simple illustration that God is far above and beyond where we can go. They just use that as a simple picture. God's way, way above and beyond where we can ascend to ourselves. Now, heaven is the visible arch of the sky. The sky, the clouds, the sun, the moon, the stars, all the rest of it that circulates up there. Mm -hmm. But it's a part of natural creation that will pass away. God created heaven and earth. He didn't just create earth. He created heaven and earth. Mm -hmm. So heaven is a part of natural creation, and it's going to pass away. So if it's going to pass away, then it cannot be the eternal habitation of God. If it's going to pass away. If it's not the eternal habitation of God, it's not the habitation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's not our habitation either. Now, heaven, in a spiritual sense, it can also refer to the spiritual realms in which spirits operate. I said spirits, plural. There can be the angels of God that we send out by the Spirit. They operate in the heavenly places, as it's referred to in different parts of the Scripture. The angels of the devil demons. There's good evil and there, there's good angels and there's evil angels. Angels of the devil do likewise. There's heavenly places where they operate. Again, it's referred to that as the heavenly places or in heaven. John the Revelator said he saw a war in heaven. Those heavenly places, intangible to the, to the mind of man and to natural perception. But it's a spiritual realm that's operated in, where the spirits that we send out, the spirit of Satan that gets sent out, operate and do their, their deeds. That's why it's very important that we pray, that we give, take authority and speak things out in the spirit of the Lord, because we send out those good angels to do the work that counters the work of Satan. And we see the results of it all the time. We know our prayers have effect and counter those things. So heaven, natural or spiritual, is going to pass away. When the Lord's done with it, that's it. It's gone. So heaven is not the habitation of God. Jesus, when he left this world, he ascended far above all heavens, and he landed at the right hand of the majesty on high, which is God himself. I'll give you a few references here you can look up. Ephesians 4.10, Hebrews 
1, verse 3, and Hebrews 8, verse 1. The right hand of God, that's where Jesus, the Son, ascended to. That's where we are to be also. Because the Lord said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. That's John 14, verses 2 and 3. So there is a much higher habitation for us than just heaven, the visible arch of the sky. That's our goal. That's where we head to, to be with the Lord on the right hand of God in majesty. Now the phrase kingdom of heaven, that occurs 32 times in the gospel of Matthew. And that phrase kingdom of heaven only appears in the gospel of Matthew, those exact words in that order. Now I studied, I did study this out Kingdom of heaven is fully interchangeable with kingdom of God that were referred to in the Gospels of Mark and Luke. Those two different phrases were used in the same passages and the same parables in those three Gospels. So they're interchangeable. Now, you heard what I just said about heaven. So the kingdom of heaven. It's not heaven, it's the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom in the Greek means royalty. That's, that's its meaning, royalty. In the abstract sense, it can refer to the rule or reign of royalty. And it can also refer to the realm that's ruled over by royalty. So the kingdom of heaven, as God rules over heaven and everything in heaven and everything under heaven, so also are we to rule with him, having that same spiritual habitation as his son. We go to that right hand of the majesty on high. There's our eternal habitation, far above all of this. Yeah, so ruling over heaven, guess what? That implies that there's a higher habitation that's better than heaven. If you're ruling over heaven, there must be something above heaven to rule over it. Now, there really isn't anything to properly describe that habitation in the human language, any human language. But the closest approximation we have to that majesty on high is the word glory. That's our eternal habitation. And that's, that's what we refer to, at, at least in our church. We say we're going to glory. Glory. I'm feeling the witness of the Lord all over me right now. Wow. Glory is splendor, honor, magnificence, dignity, bravery, beauty, comeliness, excellency, grandeur, majesty, shine, show, boast, celebrate, praise, joy, rejoice. Just to scratch the surface. How beautiful and how awesome is that? That's our goal, folks. That's where we're headed to. That's why we endure everything we have to endure going through this life because of the reward that awaits us after this life. What did the scripture say? I believe as Paul wrote, he said, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's why we stick it out, folks. That's why we endure to the very end, to our last breath, and our last heartbeat. 
because this glory is the reward that awaits at the end of it, not heaven. And that's our friend Corey with some incredible knowledge and instruction from the Word of God. That was part two of the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, if you missed part one, then that's available at getyourloveon.org. This is Get Your Love On Radio here on Remnant Radio 100.1 FM, streaming live on Remnant Radio, I'm sorry, on radioremnant.org. And then, of course, the podcast is always available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Google, and Spotify. So we hope you get to enjoy all of our programming and all the instruction that um, all of our ministers bring on a weekly basis, and we hope you get to enjoy it when you have that time and that quietness before the Lord to really allow the Word of God to do the work in your own heart and your own mind. It's so important to get that quiet time before the Lord in order to get built up and get ready for the battles that we face. Um, Our friend Corey, he mentioned Ephesians 4, verse 10, as a reference to how Christ ascended above all heaven. So I wanted to read that and just go a little bit further, too, because it's incredible scripture that is very instructive. So Ephesians 4, verse 10, it says, He that descended, speaking of Christ, is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints and for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Earlier in the show, we spoke about how David, when he went to face off against Goliath, chose five smooth stones. Now, he only needed one to do the work of the Lord, but he chose five smooth stones. Why is that? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's the fivefold ministry. And that is what allows for the perfecting of the saints. That's what allows for the true work of God's ministry and for truly edifying the body of Christ. Verse 13, it says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, Christ fills all things, and we get that same measure as well. And again, the word perfect, when we're speaking of it in the context of the King James Version of the Bible, it means complete and whole. And so, yes, we are made complete and whole through Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Well, it's been an incredible day today, and I hope this show has blessed you and offered you some some meat of the word to really move forward in great confidence and great victory in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, if you are looking to um, expand, you know, your your spiritual life, the first key is repenting and getting baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you really, you're off and running. So if you need more knowledge or more teaching on that, go to getyourloveon.org. We've got that available. Again, you can click the videos link 
And you'll hear more from our dear friend Corey about the Sermon on the Mount. We have a lot more coming to to that website. And of course, we're here every Sunday from 9 to 11 right here on Remnant Radio 100.1 FM. Well, since we spent the last two hours getting our love on, let's make sure we keep our love on. We'll be back next Sunday. And I hope in the meantime, you have a wonderful week. Keep your love on, on Sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the one true God Keep your love on Keep your love